Thank you very much, Holly, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that in trials, we see your grace in a very real and deep manner. You know, in recent years and recent months and even recent days, the Caesar family and the Mutual family have been through some trials and difficulties. But we know in the difficulty, your grace is sufficient. Your grace has been sufficient to this point. And it will continue to be sufficient as they get through time of grieving and having services for Gene and Jim. Minister encouragement, Father. And may we as a body continue to reach out with love and concern. And we know, Father, that when our faith is in Christ, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because we know that when one dies, they go to be with the Lord. And for those of us living who know the Lord, we know there will be a reunion in the future. We thank you for that hope, but desire that you would minister to the families. We thank you, too, for your word. And as we interact with your word, we want to be sensitive to hearing and applying in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Several questions. Not looking for response. These are thought questions. Hopefully you won't stop thinking about them you know, this morning, but ponder them maybe in days to come. Would you follow Christ if he said, sell your computer or computers, whatever form they may be in, give your phone away, let your friend have your TV, and come and follow me. Is a picture worth a thousand words? What is the long-term impact of social media on the family, on the body of Christ, and individuals? This is a one-sermon deal. In the future, maybe address it some more, but just want to look at some scripture as it relates to social media. And a few thoughts as I begin. We all use social media in some way, shape, or form. For example, phone, email, smartphones, Facebook, texting, cell phones, letters, snail mail, TV, radio. No, social media has been around for a long time, but it has really become high-tech and a lot has happened in recent years. We cannot escape the world in which we live. So we must learn to live with Christ as our life for God's glory as we deal with social media. And what I share this morning is coming from years of studying Scripture, the image of God, the whole issue of what I call theology desire. I've read numerous books on <clears throat> technology, social media. I've read the history, the founding of the various means of social media, who was involved in founding it. 
you know, some of the reasons behind it and so on. But I'm just sharing a brief summary this morning coming primarily from Scripture. And my desire is not to tell you what to do. I challenge you to think biblically as we live in our world. I do speak out of a very, very deep conviction that theology, our beliefs about God, determines our lifestyle. What I believe about God and things he communicates makes a difference in how I live and respond. And then also, all of us at one time will or another will give an account to God for how we live and how we respond. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1, thinking about God's image, sharing a little from Genesis 1 and 2, and then tying in 3, then making some applications to social media. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find God creating the universe and all that is in it. When we get to day 6 in Genesis 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. It's interesting That God blessed them, and then he responds with, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The text of Scripture clearly states that male and female were made in the image of God. God's creation in chapter 2 and verse 2 also involved a day of rest. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We find in verses 4 through 14, it talks about the creation of Adam. God creating him from the dust of the ground, God breathing into him the nostril, into his nostrils the breath of life, and him becoming a living being. Skipping down to verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam had a responsibility. But as you read 18 on in chapter 2, you find that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so God was going to make a suitable helper for him, and that suitable helper was woman. Look in verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs 
and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out a man, and he brought her to the man. Now keep in mind, let us make man in our image, plural, the Godhead. He made the animals, and it's very obvious in light of the text, they were made male and female. As you read Genesis 2, Adam was made first, then Eve, but there was no compliment for Adam initially. Adam in and of himself could not display the image of God as far as the relationship within the Godhead. So God made the woman. In verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, in light of Genesis 1 and 2, just a few thoughts as it ties in with the image of God. The image of God involves community. Let us make man in our image. The image of God involves relationships between God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, between Adam, between Eve, for us today within the body of Christ. The image of God involved being with. In eternity past, where was God, where was Jesus, and where was the Holy Spirit? Apparently with each other. Enjoying each other, relating to each other. The image of God involved openness. Between God, between Jesus, and between the Holy Spirit, as you read the Gospels and you read all of Scripture, you find there's openness between them. And particularly as you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus and his Father were very open. No hiding. There was also dependency involved in the image of God. God depended upon Jesus. As Jesus came to this earth, Jesus depended upon the Father. Within the creation, there's different roles and responsibilities, a dependency upon one another. Involved in the image of God is just the whole issue of delight. Jesus delighted in his Father. The Father delighted in Jesus as he was on this earth. The Spirit of God delights in the Father and in the Son. Oneness is involved within the Godhead as in marriage. Man, woman, male, female, complementing one another. Between God, between Jesus, and between the Holy Spirit, there's a oneness the marriage was to display the oneness within the Godhead. We also find that God says his creation was very good. This whole image of God deal was very good. And involved also was the Sabbath. Rest. I think all of those things are involved in the image of God. Keep in mind also that Christ came as the Logos. He came as the Word. God didn't send a picture. God didn't send a movie. God sent a person. That is very, very significant in the overview of Scripture. Christ also selected 12 men to be 
with him. Now look at chapter 3 of Genesis in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Here we see doubt being introduced. We see the serpent leading the man and woman away from a dependency upon God to independence. There's also a questioning of God involved. And then we know that the woman responded to the serpent. Adam and Eve ended up eating of the fruit. And notice in verse 7, this is after they ate of the fruit. Then the woman, or rather than the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were naked. There was no shame. There was nothing to be concerned about. Now that they have chosen to disobey God, they want to cover themselves. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now here's an opportunity for openness with God. God, I ate of the fruit. I didn't take my role as leader. I'm responsible. What does he do? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now he's blaming. Then the Lord God said to the woman, Who is, or what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We see a distinct shift taking place in Genesis chapter 3. We see then what happens. Rather than blessing, there's a curse. In verse 14, we find the serpent is cursed. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree, I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And what happens? In verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. A distinct change takes place in Genesis chapter 3. That which is involved in the image of God takes on a shift. The impact of the fall was that now there was a movement towards independence. Adam and Eve moved from a dependency upon God to an independence. And that's true even to this day. There was also doubt. No, a doubting of God, the serpent, led Adam and Eve to doubt. Rather than a simple confidence in God, there was a doubting. There was also questioning God in chapter 3 and verse 1. Did God really say? We find that there is hiding. Rather than openness, there is hiding. They seek to cover themselves. They hear the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day, and what do they do? They hide. There's also separation. 
Now Adam and Eve have some difficulty between themselves, and Adam and Eve have difficulty in relating to God. No separation taking place. There's also now an attack. There's a hurling. Hey, God, this woman. Hey, God, the serpent. And we've been doing that ever since, haven't we? No, we just seem to attack one another. There's a curse. The ground is cursed. The serpent is cursed. The woman is going to have increased pain in childbearing. There's individualism. I'm sure if that's the correct term, but now we have Adam wanting to go his direction, Eve wanting to go her direction, rather than a dependency upon one another. There's a protecting self. What's Adam doing? I'm not responsible, God. It's the woman. God, I'm not responsible. It's a serpent. And then there's, again, the attack of one another. The serpent begins by attacking God. And then Adam attacks God by blaming Eve and so on. The image of God in the male and female in Genesis 1 and 2 is now fallen in Genesis chapter 3. And we live with that fallenness. But even in that fallenness, Christ still came and wants to work in our lives. And just think about fallenness and how it influences our communication. Communication styles are developed and they have their downside as well as their upside. Do you ever think about the old style of telephone? You can talk to someone, but you can't see them. You can hear the inflection in their voice and so on. So part of the communication is hindered. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it is hindered. How about a letter? Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He longed to be with them in person, but he couldn't. So he wrote what he had to say. But he said, I, I want to be with you, but I can't. There's a limitation. We live in a fallen world. Before Genesis 3 would not have been a reality. Think about radio. Whatever form of radio you want. You can hear a voice. You can hear voice inflection and so on, but you can't see. And you don't always know the person. You can't observe their lifestyle. Not saying that's bad, it's just the fall influenced that. So as you think about social media, Christ came so that we can have life and we can live well in a broken, fallen world. And some possible applications to social media. Be open and honest. Paint the real you. Joys, struggles, failures, strengths, weaknesses. Don't hide. If you're on Facebook, 
You can paint yourself basically the way you want. This may be an extreme example. A guy can paint himself as a young man, deeply committed to people to lure a girl to him. Just not open and not honest. You may put your post up and tell about yourself, but not tell everything. And paint a false picture that ties in with fallenness. I'm not saying Facebook is wrong, that's not my point. I'm saying openness and honesty is very, very important because it's tied in with the image of God and that's tied in with Christ coming. Another one, another application possibly to, to media, building words only, no attack, no cutting, no criticism of anyone, no communication on Facebook, texting, email, and so on, of things you wouldn't say in person. I've lived long enough, I've heard enough, and I've dealt with enough people where technology has been used to tear someone to shreds. I've experienced it. But we won't talk face to face like that. Just issuing a warning. Beware. Ephesians 4 talks about building words within the Godhead, building and encouraging. Whether it's verbally, face to face, whether it's via technology, whether it's in a letter, weigh what you say very, very carefully. Because we're to display the image of God. We are made in God's image. We're to be building others up. You cannot love through social media alone. I didn't say you couldn't love through social media. I just said you can't love through social media alone. Why would I say that? You can't hug through social media. Years ago, hadn't been in ministry very long, and someone stopped at our house just brokenhearted. Just went through a major disaster, major struggle in life. And I didn't know what to do. And Ruth Ann didn't know what to do. And the couple stood there and we cried with them and we put our arms around them. I didn't know what to say. I'd never been through what they'd been through. Stood there and we hugged a while and we cried together a while, prayed with them, and they left. You can't do that with social media. You can't read expressions through a text. See, a lot of communication takes place through expression. I'm not saying don't use it, I'm just saying recognize its limitation. You can't touch 
recently, within the last week, I emailed one of our missionaries. And uh, he responded. So I thought, I have to call. So I gave him a call, and I just thought, no, I can't even give this guy a hug and say, I really love you. I can say I love you. I did, verbally. But we're separated by many, many miles. And we did communicate, but yet not as much as we may have wanted. Sociologists would tell us that only 10% of communication is done with words. The rest is done, you know, in expressions, tone inflection or voice inflection and so on. Social media alone is not always costly. I can talk to Arden on the phone and say, Arden, I love you. I'm praying for you. I really care for you. That's different than my changing my schedule to go to where Arden is and spend a half a day with him. Say, I really do care, Arden. And again, I'm not saying social media has no role. I'm just saying it is limited. And sometimes we need to recognize that. Just delighting in people and caring for people is costly and takes time. Another possible application, social media should be a very small portion of communication in marriage and in the parent-child relationship. I think image of God, communication is essential. You cannot experience image of God communication with social media alone. I don't know if you ever said this to your kids or your parents said it to you. Look at me. Look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> you know, there's something about looking at someone that communicates deeply. So Ruth Ann and I sit and talk, and she's staring this way and I'm staring this way. We can hear words, but looking at one another, communicating face to face, seeing her expressions. So I say to honey, or I say to Ruth Ann, I love you. The right words, but I communicated something else. Just the whole issue of face-to-face communication. Again, texting, whatever may have its place. Let that be a small part of communication within the marriage. Between parents and children. No individual counts. Let others know your passwords. Give them liberty to check it at their leisure. Knowing your password or someone else knowing your password will help you from hiding. Hiding is the opposite of what God desires, what Christ desires. It's yielding to darkness. You say, I don't, it's no one else's business of what I do on my phone or on the computer. 
Yes, it is. We're not islands. But on the computer, and there are times there's things appear in the computer that I really don't want to appear in the computer. You know, you don't always have a choice as to what comes up. And there have been moments where a thought went through my mind. Do I want to pursue this? And then I'll think, I don't want to pursue it. Because when someone asks me what you've been doing with a computer, I want to be able to say, here's my computer. Look at what I've been doing with it. Here's my phone. Look at what I've been doing with it. I don't want to hide. That has kept me on track a number of times. Just the whole issue of openness. See, the serpent came to hide, to bring hiding. God wants to go a different direction. We live in a world that loves to hide. I'm encouraging openness. So I walk up to you and I say, Travis, may I have your phone? And Travis says, "Uh, what do you want to do with it? I want to see what you've been doing with your phone. Well, here's the phone. I said, now, what's your password? You don't get that. So you go to your child and you say, I want your computer. We'll see what you've been doing with the computer. You say, well, give me your password. You probably shouldn't even have to ask for it. You should already have it. That openness. And I'm not limiting that to children. I'm talking about us big people too. Who knows your password to your computer, to whatever accounts you have? And are they free to access it at any time? I could give you multiple examples of a hiding with social media that has resulted in relational devastation over and over again. It's moving away from Genesis 1 and 2, moving into Genesis 3 apart from Christ. Beware of using social media when you are with people. Meals, driving, etc. So I'm sitting at the kitchen table and Ruth Ann's getting supper ready. And she's trying to talk to me. I'm saying to her, you're not important. Jesus spent time with his disciples just to be with them, to enjoy them, to appreciate them. Beware of the lie Facebook presents. Facebook would tell us that we can have 50 or 70 or 100 friends on Facebook. And that may be a reality, 
but really a friend. And I'm not knocking Facebook. That's not my point. I want you to understand that you can't be friends to a hundred people. True friends. Or you may be a friend to them on Facebook. But don't get sucked into thinking that you can be a true friend to them. And I'm not saying don't have friends on Facebook. That's not my point. But recognize its limitation. So if I'm on Facebook and I have 200 friends, how many of those 200 will come to me when Ruth Ann is in her dying bed and I'm weeping my eyes out? How many will come and say, I just want to be with you? And again, I'm not knocking Facebook. That's not my point. Just recognize that if we're not careful, we fall up or end up going into something and having a distorted view of what is reality. See, when Mary and Martha had their brother Lazarus die, they wanted Jesus to come. They didn't want to text. They didn't want a phone call. They wanted him. Well, he waited several days, and then he did come. He was a friend. My encouragement is just recognize terminology that what may be called a friend might not really be a friend, you know, in terms of technology. Another application, then we'll wrap it up. God talks about rest. He rested on the seventh day. I would encourage you to consider a rest from social media and technology. I've found it interesting in the many books that I read on, have read on social media and technology that the unbelievers emphasize this more than believers. They will say, you, if you're going to use social media, if you're going to use technology, you've got to rest from it. I've read Unbeliever over and over. They would say, by 6 o'clock at night, you should turn off all this social technology and not use it till the next morning. And you should have at least one day where you don't use it at all. Now that is coming from unbelievers. You You might say, I can't handle that. Well, then I ask, what is your God? When Jesus said to the rich man, take what you have, you know, go, sell, give to the poor and so, and then come follow me. He was saying, get rid of your wealth. Is my Technology, my social media, more important than God. See, rest challenges us to move to God. I'll give you an example. It's not social media. If you go in my study, you will find there's thousands of books. And they aren't even all in my study. There's some in the basement at the house. And there's some that I've given away over the years, just, you know, I have too much. 
But a number of years ago, the Lord really was challenging me as I was thinking about rest and what I loved. And that's the most like God said to me, Dan, do you love me or do you love my book or your books? I said, Lord, you know I love you. I don't have to have books. And the Spirit of God really worked in me and said, Dan, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. More than the books? Yes. And again, it's almost like the Spirit of God was saying, okay, for 365 days, don't buy a book. God, we got to talk. God, I don't think this is such a good idea. I finally said, okay, God, I agree. I won't buy any books for the next 365 days. There might be one or two that I need for some study I'm doing, you know, in sermon series. Okay, that's okay. But beyond that, no. You know what I found about a month or two into that? That my books had become pretty great. I'd be thinking, hey, God, it's only been a month. I got 11 more months before I can buy a book. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I came to the, the end of that year realizing how great books had become in my life. It took the rest away from them to really see what had happened in my life. Work becomes dominant if we try to work seven out of seven. We need a day of rest. And I'm encouraging you to ponder that and consider it in social media. Your choice. But how important is it in life? Are you content in Christ and in Christ alone? Can you be at peace and content without your computer? Without your phone? with your, uh, your TV for a day, for a week, for a month. What does your desire for social media or lack of desire for social media, whichever direction you may have gone, show you about your heart? Why do you desire it or why don't you desire it? Do you desire God's glory in your use of social media? We live in a world of high, that is high-tech, an abundance of social media. It's a world we live in. How do we display God's image in that world? How do we live for God's glory in the world? I will give an account for how I respond. You'll give an account for how you respond. It's not my desire to try to say, here's exactly what you must do. Just think about it the fallenness in our world, but at the same time, think about the life that we have in Christ as we seek to live for his glory.
If you're interested in any notes or some in the chair as you exit, let's pray together. Father, we know that we live in what we might call a high-tech world. But if we go back years ago, there were issues at that time. There's nothing new under the sun. The serpent attempted to lure Adam and Eve from a deep dependency upon you. And that has happened down through the pages of history, and it's true today. And we know that the enemy... Lord, Adam and Eve from openness and communication from that dependency into hiding, into attacking, into hurling along with many other things. But we know that Christ came so that we can live well for your glory in a high-tech world and use media, social media and so on in a God-honoring way, but at the same time recognizing the fallenness and how it can influence us. May we grow in understanding what it means to be created in your image. How the fall influenced that image. And then, Father, how Christ and the life we have in him can make such a big difference in how we live and respond in our fallen world. We want to please you, Father. We want to love you and be faithful to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.